Welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back at historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. Today you will get to hear audio from a simulated Article 5 convention with 49 state delegations consisting mostly of sitting or previous state legislators. Hosted by Convention of States Foundation in August of 2023, the event was held in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. As the convention comes to order in this segment, listen to opening remarks made by COS Foundation President Mark Meckler, co-founder Michael Ferris, and senior advisor Rick Santorum. I wanted to welcome you this morning to the 2023 Article 5 Simulated Convention of States. It's a truly historic endeavor. For those of you who were here last night, thank you for being here, uh, for your attention, for listening to Patrick Henry, and for having him help us set the stage for what you're about to do. What you're about to do is unlike any other meeting. If you've never been to a simulated convention before, uh, you haven't been through this experience, this will be unlike anything you've ever done before. This is not just a convention or a gathering or a social event or an educational event. You are making history during this event. I hope that you will keep that in mind. I expect that what we will see is what we saw at the 2016 simulated convention, which is we saw good people come into a room and rise to the level of great statesmen and stateswomen. America will be watching. People who support what we're doing out across the country, over 5 million folks who have signed up in support of calling a convention of states will be watching. And people who oppose the process will be watching. The process itself, the convention itself, are entirely nonpartisan endeavors. This is not a policy discussion. This is a discussion about where the appropriate authority in the United States of America under our Constitution lies. Does it lie with the people and the states? Or does the fundamental authority in the United States of America, the majority of authority, lie with the federal government? I think most of us who are in this room would agree with the answer that it lies with the people of the United States and their representatives in the states. The federal government was always intended to be a government of limited enumerated powers. Today, the federal government is a government of unlimited, essentially unenumerated powers, largely the effect of an overreaching government for decades, over a century at least, and a Supreme Court that rubber stamps and encourages that encroachment on state authority and the sovereign authority of the people of these United States. So today you will enter into solemn and serious debate about amendments which might be proposed to be sent to the states for ratification in order that we might restrain that federal government and once again put it back within the bounds of the United States Constitution. I would like, just for a moment, just as, as an experiment, could you raise your hand if you were here at the simulated convention in 2016? I would appreciate that. Thank you for your participation in that event, and thanks for being here again, and hopefully some of you can help lead the way in committees and, and discussions among your colleagues. There are those out there on both sides of the aisle who oppose what we're doing. We know about the supporters, but there are opponents on both sides of the aisle, too. They fear the idea of a runaway convention. We hear this from Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. In responding to them, I would like to be direct, if perhaps a bit harsh. And in doing so, I will quote one of my favorite founding fathers, and that is Sam Adams. 
Sam Adams, in dealing with the people and talking about the people who opposed the fight for liberty, said this, if you love wealth better than liberty, if you love the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, then go home from us in peace. We need neither your counsel nor your arms. Crouch down and lick the hands that feed you, and may posterity not remember that you are our countrymen. There's humor in that, but there's a very serious attitude in that. You are leaders in the fight for liberty in the United States of America, and that liberty is indeed being lost. And any time we engage in a war, any time we engage in a fight, we have to measure the risk in that fight. And you're here because you're serious people who have made that measurement within yourselves and made your own decisions about what the appropriate things are to do in this time of tribulation in our country. Winston Churchill said, if you won't fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you won't fight when your victory is sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you'll have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance for survival. There may even be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope for victory because it's better to perish fighting than to live as slaves. To the men and women in this room, you have my eternal gratitude because you have chosen to fight when there is still, in my opinion, a very good chance for victory for the United States of America. It is time that we pursue that victory with all due vigor, and that is why we're here today. At this point, it is my honor to introduce the co-founder of the Convention of States Organization, a man known well to many of you, Michael Ferris. Mike has done so many things in his life, it seems like multiple lifetimes if you read his CV. The founder of the homeschool movement in America, HSLDA, founder of Patrick Henry College, uh, founder of Convention of States, former uh, president of Alliance Defending Freedom, one of the guys responsible for helping us overturn Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs decision. It is an honor and a pleasure to introduce you to my good friend, Michael Ferris. Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you here in historic Williamsburg. I, um, I have a little personal history that just came to mind 30 seconds ago. Um, in 1994, the um, Congress tried to push through a, a provision called um, the Miller Amendment to H.R. 6 that was require every teacher in America to be certified. And that would have been the death of the homeschooling movement. If that had happened, it would have hurt private schools. We would hurt public schools somewhat. But I, stopped, I was on my way to a, a political event in Virginia Beach, and I stopped at a house in Williamsburg and recorded Focus on the Family uh, program from Williamsburg. And Dr. Dobson sent that program out. And um, I was told later that three million people called Congress to oppose HR 6. Uh, the Focus on the Family broadcast was a material part of that. It wasn't the whole thing. It was a material part of that. And so the fight for liberty for me personally, I, I have a Williamsburg connection. But what I want to focus on for just a second is Williamsburg was really the was the first home of self-government in the New World. The, the colonial legislature began meeting here in 1623-1624, that was first session. They passed the first taxes on the colony itself. And it was from that point until the 1770s, 150 years, that the American colonies always taxed themselves. 
The, there was no, I mean, the, the, the royal governor had to sign off on it in the name of the king, but the parliament in Britain had nothing to do with it. And so when the fight came in the 1770s to, you know, no taxation without representation, they were following the British Constitution. There's never been a written constitution in Britain, not then, not today. And the British Constitution is the accumulated traditions of the way they practice government. And so for 150 years, the British Constitution is Americans tax themselves. And so when the fight came, it's exactly like our fight today. We're fighting for the original principles that were in the British Constitution. We're fighting for the original principles. We're fighting for the original principle of the Commerce Clause, which meant shipping stuff. It didn't mean regulate everything that has anything to do with any dollars. We were fighting for the, we're fighting for the original principles of the General Welfare Clause, which did not mean spend money on any fool thing you want. It, it meant when you spend money, you have to do it. It was a limitation on power that it had to be not for some special interest, not for some you know, thing that the senator wants to, to bless his home district with a particular road or something. It had to be for the general welfare of the whole country. And so we're fighting to restore the general principles of our Constitution, just like in 1776, they were fighting to keep the principle that Americans tax themselves. No taxation without representation. Why? Because that is the moral principle that lies behind the all government. And they got it right when they said, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And for this reason, governments are instituted among men. So the reason we want to have limited government, which is mainly the focus of what we're doing here, how do we limit the federal government? The reason for limited government is more freedom. When, when government makes the choice, you don't get to make the choice. When you make the choice, you have freedom. We want to increase freedom by limiting the power of a government to make too many choices in our lives. And so that's what you're about. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for all you do. And I really agree with what Mark said last night. I think this really will be looked at as the Annapolis Convention of this generation. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. I travel the country a lot, and when I do, I often hear people say this who are opposed to what we're doing here. There are no Patrick Henrys and Sam Adamses and Madisons and Washingtons any longer. And I look out in this room, I see an audience full of people of that caliber. I have Mike Ferris walk up to this podium, and I feel like I'm standing with one of the framers or one of the founders of this country. And I want to introduce somebody else right now that could easily stand among those men. Uh, and that is Senator Rick Santorum. I've known Rick for a number of years, and when I first met him, I met him socially. And so, you know, as a political guy, I never really knew Rick politically. Uh, Rick and I were hunting buddies and fishing buddies through a mutual friend, Foster Freese, long before we knew each other politically in any way. And so I had a chance to know the man before I knew the, the public man, the, the political man. You know, a lot of times when you get to meet the man and you see the political man or woman uh, and you meet the real person behind the scenes, you find out there's a very big difference between those people. There's the image, there's the veneer, there's the public presentation, and then there's the real person behind the scenes when you sit down with them. 
I think the highest compliment that I could pay to Senator Santorum is the man that you saw on the presidential campaign trail, the man that you saw in Congress fighting for the right to life when almost nobody else would do that publicly, is the same man that you talk to if you sit down and have a cup of coffee with him over breakfast. And there are a, a people that you will meet in your lifetime that you think this is a truly great man or a truly great woman by their accomplishments, by the things that they've done publicly. But I think the most extraordinary accomplishment is when you meet somebody that has accomplished truly great things in their life, and they're also truly a good person. And so it is my honor and privilege to introduce senior advisor to Convention of States, a great man and a good person, Senator Rick Santorum. Uh, thank you. Uh, that, uh, appreciate that. I always, that makes me uncomfortable, but I appreciate the, the kind words. Thank you uh, all for being here. Um, I know it's, it's August, uh, you're legislators, so you've got lots of things to do uh, in, in August uh, to, to have some time and uh, to, to take the time to come here uh, just speaks volumes from you and your, and your commitment and love of this country. So I, I just want to thank you deeply for being here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, uh, uh, I hear all the time when, uh, as I travel around the country is, uh, you know, people talk about the Constitution and, and, and we can't mess with the Constitution. And, and I think people forget that um, the Constitution was, was written by folks like you. They were almost all state legislators. They weren't congressmen. They weren't people from the federal government. They were people from the states. And interestingly enough, not surprisingly though, that they, they wrote the, the Constitution to keep them in power, right? They, they had to give more power to the federal government than the Articles of Confederation, but they wanted you folks, the state legislatures, the states, to be at the top of the food chain. That was, so when people say, well, don't mess with the Constitution, does anybody believe that the states are at the top of the food chain? Do you believe any of you are at the top of the food chain? I served in the, in the House and in the Senate. I see a vet back there. She served in the House. And yeah, you guys, we don't see you guys at the top of the food chain. You guys are shoveling the stables, right? You're just dealing with the crap we throw down to you, and you're, you do what you're told, right? And if you don't do what you're told, we'll take your money, right? So that's... When people say, oh, well, you know, don't mess with the Constitution. Well, how did the Constitution get this way? Well, in part, because you gave up power. When I say you, I mean you, the state legislature. The biggest giveaway of power obviously occurred in 1913 with the 17th Amendment, where you controlled me. I was a senator, and I would have had to get appointed by you up until 1913. And you, because of that, had the power to stop everything bad that would affect your state from happening. Because if you didn't like it, you'd just pull the senator back. And you know how hard it is to get things done in the Congress right now with the Senate. You couldn't get anything done if it affected the power of the state and your prerogative to protect your rights and the rights of the people. But you gave that away. Well, the founders put a second provision in there to put you at the top of the food chain. <laughs> so you gave away one, and this one, Article 5, you've never used. 
I don't know what that says for all you guys. <laughs> I think the founders believed that people in, in the federal government would become corrupt with power because, well, every Republican in the history of the world has, has seen that. So they anticipated that these people who were, you know, leaders of the country would get the opportunity to try to grab more and more and more power. Now, they thought they put a provision there to stop that, but you gave it away. But they put a backstop. And so they expected legislators in Washington to abuse their power. But what they never anticipated is that you wouldn't use your power. And so I guess I'm, I'm just here to encourage you to step into the shoes that you were given in this country. And I hear the comment that Mark makes, you know, there are no Hamiltons, there's no Jeffersons. Do you think that the, that the Hamiltons and Jeffersons and the people there and the Madisons, that they thought they were Madisons and Jeffersons? They didn't see themselves as great. They, they were just ordinary folk. And if you read their biographies, they were ordinary people. And they didn't design this Constitution for angels and statesmen. You know, all what, you know what they really are asking you to do under Article 5? Is do what everybody, whether it's the school board or the, the rotary or whatever, everybody and, or you and your own family do, <laughs> unfortunately. And that is act in your own self-interest. So all I'm expecting at an Article 5 convention is that the folks coming to that convention will act in your own self-interest, which means taking power away from Washington and bringing it back to the states. If you simply do that, then you will accomplish what angels and statesmen will do. Because all this effort is about is to try to stifle Washington from destroying this country and bring some of the power and freedom back to the people and to the states. So act in your own self-interest. We don't need you to be angels. If you want to be power-hungry, ruthless villains, that's okay because you're taking the power away from even more power-hungry, ruthless villains. <laughs> So I understand people have concerns about this, and I get it. And I'm, I'm excited that you will be, you know, over these next few days, will, will put to rest, in some respects, how a convention like this would operate. And, and you'll have the opportunity to, uh, uh, to share that with your colleagues uh, when you get home. This is an important thing for the country. And I've, I've spent... Uh, the last 40 years in politics. I know, I, I don't look that old, but I have. Uh, I've left 40 years in politics and over 30 in, in elected politics and running for elected politics. And people ask me all the time when I travel around the country, because, you know, why are you still doing this? And my question is because when I get up in the morning, I look myself in the mirror and I see a country that over the past 30 to 40 years has gone to hell. Amen. And unlike mo most of you here, 
I was actually in a position to do something about it. And I failed. Now I fail, I fail pretty miserably in most cases. And you can say, well, you know, you tried, you know, you, you, you passed this and you fought for this and, and you ran for this and, and you, you know, talked about these things. You know, I'm not a person of the left. I don't believe in participation trophies. I believe that you're here to accomplish things and you have an obligation to fight. And particularly in my case, I take responsibility. I mean, I think one of the, it's like anything, any problem you have, any, the first step to solving the problem is taking responsibility for your actions. And whatever I did, as hard as I tried, I didn't do good enough. Didn't do it well enough. And there's still work to be done. So I don't know how many years I have left, but I believe of all the things I've looked at, and I've been in Washington, and I've been on TV, and I've run for president, I've done all these things, and I don't see anything out there that is going to have the opportunity to turn this country around more than this movement. And people will say, well, you know, how can you possibly, even if you get a convention, how can you get anything done? And my response to that is, I, I don't think it's all that important to get something done this first convention. I think the most important thing to do at this convention is to have a convention. Because once you have a convention, then you, you show Washington that you are now at the top of the food chain. Now, you may not be able to get anything done, or you may pass a few amendments, and they may not be ratified, but you're now on their radar screen. They got to account for you. And all of the folks who say, well, runaway convention, or this, we don't know how it works, and this or this, all of that's now gone. It's now who's in charge. Just think about that. How many of you are angels enough that if you had all the power, you would always use it wisely and never abuse it? That's why we all have bosses. Congress doesn't have a boss. The president doesn't have a boss. Not a real boss. You're the boss. You're the ones who are supposed to have the power. They trusted you to preserve liberty. And you have failed them. You have failed our founders. You have failed this country. And I say that as someone who just told you, I have failed. So I'm not pointing the finger without pointing it back at me. We have all failed. But as Mark said, there is still hope. This battle is not lost. It is far from being lost. And today and tomorrow, you have an opportunity to do something to move the hope forward. And I thank you for doing it. God bless. At this time, we're going to turn the convention over to you. To you, the commissioners, and to the officers and the officers to come of this convention. At this time, it's my honor to introduce Representative Ken Ivory of Utah, past convention president and temporary president under our rules. 
Representative Ken Ivory. Good morning. Six years ago, we talked about the winds of change were about to blow. And in six years, we've had a lot of change. And I think the winds have been maybe more like a hurricane. In, uh, in six years, national debt has gone from 19 trillion to 33 trillion. That's on our children and our grandchildren in six, seven years. In seven years, we've gone from a government that was functioning as it was to we now operate by administrative fiat and executive order, almost entirely. We had recently a 155-page opinion from a judge that announced that our government was shutting off the speech of the people. And, and, and the, court, he ended, the judge ended with a quote from Harry Truman, once a government is committed to the principle of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one place to go, and that is down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. In seven years, We've seen opinions from courts that take away the rights of the people. And uh, as was mentioned, that the power to deal with this lies entirely with the states. One of the ratifiers of the New York Convention, not remembered very frequently, but one of the ratifiers named Tench Cox, he said the real source of sovereign power doesn't lie with the federal legislature as many suppose. The real source of sovereignty lies with the legislatures because they have the power of altering and amending the Constitution. And that is the real source of sovereignty. If two-thirds of the states call the convention and three-fourths ratify, it becomes part of the convention without any interference from Congress. So that's the real source of sovereignty. But I'll take that one step further because we have a boss. We were sent here by the people that are suffering from 33 trillion in debt, that are suffering from the fact that interest is now the single largest expense in the federal budget. Budget. The federal budget. They haven't had a budget since we've had iPads and iPhones. But it's the single largest expense in, in, in the federal operation and it's growing exponentially with interest rates increasing. We have a boss that has, that has sent us here, the, the sovereign people. This is the only nation in the history of the world that stands for the proposition that the people are sovereign. And so as we get to work, I want to help you memorize the Constitution right now in the next 30 seconds. You ready for this? Constitution can be boiled down to four simple words. If government, which government? We have a sovereign people that did not delegate all power to government. In fact, they delegated very few power to government. 
And the Ninth Amendment tells us everything else is reserved to the people. If government, was that power delegated to any government at all? It's a critical question that we have to ask ourselves. The second question is, if it was among those very few powers that were delegated to government, which one? Was it delegated to a government far away, less accountable, less transparent? Or was it kept to a government close to home? More transparent, more accountable, where the people's voice really matters. They could show up at the doorstep. They could show up at the Capitol, and you've all seen it. People that show up right at the Capitol, and they can change the things that affect their life, their liberty, their property. That's how this system was meant to operate over a large extent of country. But we have a machine that's out of balance. Doesn't matter who drives the machine anymore. Doesn't matter if they drive the machine to the left or drive the machine to the right. The machine is blowing smoke. It's losing parts. It's time to put the machine in the repair shop and change the oil, tune it up, so we got another 245 years to go on this machine. George Washington made the statement, if in the opinion of the people, the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers are ever in any particular wrong, let it be changed by an amendment in the way the Constitution designates. But he said, let there be no change by usurpation, for though in one instant that may be the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. We're right at that point, and so now it is absolutely the time that we rally to be leaders among leaders, and that's the opportunity we have over the next two days to work on this. As we get busy and as we get working on this, I want to take just a second. We need to thank uh, Mark and Patty Meckler. Would you please join me in thanking them? I don't know that you can appreciate what a Herculean task it is to pull this type of an event together. Rita Peters, I don't think she sleeps. They talk about people that can walk and chew gum. I think she can type with both hands and, and, you know, and understand what's happening. Uh, and, and all of the people that have, have, have taken part to put this together. This is a lot of work to put this together. And lastly, I want to thank you. I have, I have three and a half grandchildren now. When we met last time, I didn't have any. And I love them more than life. And to think that we're putting $33 trillion on them, that, that we just simply put the bill on them and we said constitutionally, economically, financially that we're going to require them to pay for our mistakes it's time for us to clean up what's happening whatever the cost whatever it may take it's time for us to do this work thank you for listening to the convention of states legacy podcast to learn more about our grassroots movement go to www.conventionofstates.com <laughs>